this morning. Let me, uh, as you, uh, we read out of Mark chapter 2, I want you to turn in your Bibles there because we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 this morning. But I'm going to tell you in Mark chapter 2 verse 1 through Mark chapter 3 and verse 6, we're going to see over the next several weeks, and let me just say about next week. Next Sunday, I'm hoping to have baptism service in the morning uh, as well as go ahead and do a... uh, I'm going to show you some pictures. I've been asked to do it. I've been wanting to do it. I just have uh, trying to get my strength back and trying to get uh, get my act together, so to speak. So I'm going to do our. I'm going to talk about my South Africa trip next Sunday, and so we're going to do some. We're going to do slides, and so I'll show you some pictures of the South Africa trip, and I hope that you'll be here next Sunday morning for that and for baptism service and all the things that God's got in store for us for next week. But from Mark chapter 2 through Mark chapter 3 verse 6, we're going to over the next several weeks investigate five controversial instances between Jesus and the Jewish leaders, Jewish uh, religious leaders in Galilee in northern Israel. And then in the book of Mark there's another set of verses with five more controversies with the same antagonists, but they're going to be in Jerusalem and in Judea, and that is found in Mark chapter 11, verse 27, through Mark chapter 12, verse 37. And so you're going to see that there's 10 messages in those two or three chapters. And so it's always uh, interesting. People say, well, preacher, how, how do you come up with sermons? Well, and how many do you come up with? Well, I'll just tell you, I can preach more than uh, one sermon out of the same verse uh, in many times and come up with some of the things that, uh, that are just totally different. But today we're going to look at one of the five controversial instances between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders in Galilee, and in particular right today, in the city of Capernaum. And we know that the scripture says that Jesus was back home. Now, from his preaching, he was already preaching and ministering through, uh, through Galilee, and now he's back home. Now, where is home? How in the world do we know where Jesus is home? Because you remember, Jesus said the Son of God has no place to lay his head down. Uh, no place to, to with a roof over his head. So the speculation here is that he is back at home with Simon Peter. If you look in Mark chapter 1 and verse 29, we see there that, that he was actually there in Peter's house. And so we think that he's probably more than likely back uh, at home in Peter's home there in Capernaum in Mark chapter, like he was in Mark chapter 1 and verses 20, verse 29. And so today we see that that these four guys, four friends, who became roofers, they became uh, uh, contractors, so roof contractors, they had to to get their friend to Jesus Christ. And when the roof was opened up, can you have you ever thought that what Jesus saw? You know, can you imagine the dirt and everything coming down uh, on Jesus as this the roof is being opened up? And then I'm, can you imagine the four guys? looking there and looking down and Jesus looking up and seeing those four men there. Now, I'm sure the hole in the roof of the house also created a new source of light as well there. They had a skylight built in there. It was the first skylight ever mentioned in the Bible, but there was a skylight there. And part of our job 
as followers of Jesus Christ, is to bring light to dark places. And so you see these four guys, not only was bringing someone to Jesus, but they also brought light to the subject. And so today, I'm going to challenge you to apply for a job working at a new roofing company called Roofers Are Us, okay? Roofers Are Us, you are going to apply for a job today. So if you look at the job description, first of all, they're roofing so that, and you see the application, you're roofing so that people can meet Jesus there. You're, that's why you're there, is to, you're going to become part of this roofing company, Roofers Are Us, to help people meet Jesus Christ. And so if you've ever had a job interview, or you've ever filled out an employment application, you know that it can be a nerve-wracking experience. Amen? I'm telling you, it's not easy to do that. Nowadays, you can fill out job applications right online. I've seen it in lots of uh, main big stores, and and they'll just have a place there. Uh, I was in Walgreens in Clovis not long ago, and they have a computer there that you just walk up and you just start typing in, and you can apply a job right online, right inside their store there. Now, I went online, since you can go online and fill out a job application, I went online to find some humorous and sometimes what I found were scary statements about people that have actually, these are statements that people have actually made on a job interview. Number one, here's a person inside the, bo- the, office, the, the boss's office and the boss is sitting across from the table there and and he's getting ready for his interview, and he says, could I get a cup of coffee? He says, I think I might just be a little hungover from last night. Can you imagine saying that at a job interview? Number two, I was fired from my last job because they were forcing me to take anger management courses. (laughs) If I get a job offer, How long before I have to take a drug test? That's not a good question, all right? Not a good question at all. Here's one. Can you speed this up? I've got to be somewhere else. Uh, You just go ahead and go there, and don't worry about ever coming back. Amen? Now, it's best for your other employees if I don't work with people. Here's number six. I prefer to work for a company that is very lax on tardiness. That sounds like students going to school. Amen, teachers? We need to pray for our teachers and our, and our school employees. They go back to school tomorrow, and uh, the teachers do, and so we need to pray for them there. And then here's number seven. I need you to provide an emergency contact number. And this is actually what they wrote down, 911. So, Okay. Now, I seriously doubt any of those applicants got the job. In fact, if I was the one interviewing them, they would not have gotten the job there. And in fact, uh, just recently in the job search looking for for Nathan, uh, we were uh, getting ready to interview another person, and uh, Brother Steve and I had set up a, a phone conversation, a phone interview with this individual. And in the middle of the 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 interview, this is what the, the young man said to us. said, well, I'm walking into Walmart right now, so you might hear some voices in the background. I just want you to know uh, 
as soon as that person said that, I, I didn't say anything to Brother Steve, but I just said, if this person is not more concerned about this job than that, then I don't need to talk to this young man anymore. And guess what? We didn't after that, very, after that point there. So if you have a job interview and you're doing it online, don't do it while you're doing anything else. Stop your car. Talk on the phone. If you want to be in your car, that's fine because most of the time that's probably the most quiet place there, hopefully. And you can do that, but don't say I'm walking around Walmart shopping while I'm taking this interview there. Now, let's read. We've read about those four friends who started a roofing company 2,000 years ago. When I read that story, there are so many questions that came to my mind. Here's some of them. The first one is, if this is really Peter's home, if this is where Jesus was and this is Peter's home, I'm wondering what Peter thought when the ceiling started coming down, all right? Get dirt and dust starts falling on Jesus and everyone in the room. If you were the homeowner, would you have said something like this? Who's going to pay for that damage? I don't, that's not in the scripture, but I'm really wondering if that was one of the things that they thought about. I wonder if the paralyzed man felt any fear from the ordeal. Can you imagine from the paralytic standpoint that he's being lowered with on a pallet that he's probably slept on and lived on for many years and it's being lowered by four ropes. Now I'm wondering... Uh, did they have little uh, little things in there to hold, make sure that the rope wasn't going to be pulled out of whatever that uh, whatever mat that he was being lowered on there? Can you imagine what was going through the paralytic's mind as well there? And can you imagine somebody asking this man man after he was healed and he walked off? So, what do you do today? I, what do you do for a living? He said, "Oh, today I was just." Hanging around Jesus, you know, you'll get, you'll get that one in just a moment. Nathan got one about two days last week. He said, "Oh, I finally got that one, preacher." There, but I want to, I want, I want us to focus on the main thing, and that is really the miracle. And the miracle should be these four unnamed friends who brought this paralyzed buddy to Jesus Christ. And of the key verse. When you were reading through those 12 verses, did you pick up on the key verse? The key verse is found in verse 5. The key verse is this, where it says, when Jesus saw their faith. That's the key verse out of these 12 verses. When Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith of these four guys, and you may think that faith is invisible. But according to Jesus, faith can be seen. Faith can be seen. Can Jesus see your faith? Do you have an invisible faith or do you have a visible faith? These four guys from Roofers R Us company there, their faith was very visible. And I believe Jesus wants every one of us to be an employee of this particular company. So today I'm going to ask you to apply for a position in this company. But first, you probably need to know that job description and, and that you're going to and what that's going to be when you work for Roofers R Us. When you work for Roofers R Us company, you create openings so that the sun of the light or the light of the Son of God can brighten dark places in someone's heart. I hope you're interested this morning 
whether you're listening on the radio or whether you're here in this room today, applying for the position. So there, number one, I want you to do some things for us there. You, you see the, the actual job description where people can meet Jesus there, but then I want you to check any of these boxes, one through five, as we go through these for the rest on your outline there. Number one, I care about hurting people. If you care about hurting people, you might want to check that box this morning. Our story begins with this statement in verse 3. They came to him, talking about Jesus, bringing a paralytic carried by the four of them. These four men had a friend or relative who was suffering. He was paralyzed, and there was no way that he was going to get to Jesus on his own. So these four guys heard Jesus was in Capernaum, and I believe they were convinced Jesus could help their friend. There, and so they had their, this unshakable faith in Jesus Christ. These four guys remind me of a kid who was playing sandlot baseball one day. I've watched a, quite a little bit of uh, Little League baseball over these last few weeks, and, and they're having the final games in America to, to, he, to see who's going to the Little League World Series back east. And this past week, I uh, got to watch on television, uh, Carlsbad had a team that uh, was just uh, two games away from going to Williamsport and being able to play in the World Series. And, and one of the kids that was playing was actually uh, the, the kid of one of my son's best friends in high school. And so when they said Mabry, my, my wife said, do you think that's, that's Mabry's kid? And about that time when he hit the ball, they, they panned up into the stands and there was Mabry and his wife. And so we were texting Jordan saying, hey, your buddy's on television right now. And Jordan was in Arkansas and he was watching it on ESN, ESPN2 and we were as well. But this reminded me of a story about a kid playing sandlot baseball and just a stranger came by and and uh, he this kid was... Uh, on third base, and the guy was sitting there next to it, and he said, what's the score? And the kid pounded his fist in his glove, and he said, the score's 42 to 0 in their favor. And the man said, you're getting beat pretty bad, hon. The, the kid looked at him and smiled and said, nope, because we haven't been up to bat yet. <laughs> now, that sounds like Little League Baseball, amen? These four friends believed if, if they could somehow get their friend to Jesus... Jesus can make a difference in his life. And church, let me just say, we are surrounded by hurting people. The question is, do you care enough to bring them to Jesus? Do you care? I carry a pager around with me, and when I hear an address uh, that the ambulance or police are being dispatched to an area around the church... I'm always concerned about those folks. I'm concerned about any folk, but when, when I give an address in the, the 400 block of Center Street, in my mind, I wonder, I wonder which one of our neighbors that is at that point in time. Let me say, we have, we have a lot of information, church, that, that we share these days, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
Folks, we could give our neighbors around this church all kinds of information about what we offer from grief share to Awanas to Sunday school to youth to, to whatever bus ministries and all of that. But they don't care until they know how much we really care, church. I'm wondering, we don't know how many sick and weak people were in Galilee. But I'm guessing that there was quite a few than just one paralytic man there in the city of Capernaum. But these four men, they were concentrated on just one person. And I'm going to say that that's good advice for you and I. I don't want you to be concerned about 500 people in Tucumcari. What I think God wants you to be concerned about is just one, one person, one person. Would you ask God this morning to sensitize your heart and lead you to just one hurting person who needs Jesus Christ? And then would you be willing to bring them to Jesus? You may be thinking, Pastor, Jesus was in that house in Capernaum, and now he's ascended back to heaven. How can I bring a hurting friend to Jesus Christ? It's very simple. You can bring your hurting friend to church, which is the body of Christ there on planet Earth. This is the place where they can find hope. This is the place where they can find help. This is the place where they can find healing. And I don't care if I heard one amen. That is exactly, this is the place that they can find help. Amen, church? And folks, if you don't believe that, then you'll never bring anybody to this place at all there. But I'm going to tell you, I have met people this week. I have visited with people who are hurting. And I'm telling you, some of those folks are here today. And I want you to know, I'm here for you, but the church is here for you as well. This is where you can find help. This is where you can find help for your hurts there. This is where you can find hope. And this is where you can find healing. But you've got to really believe, church, that Jesus can make a difference. And then you've got to care enough to bring them to Jesus Christ. There are hurting people in this community that are in spiritual darkness. And so in order to work for Roofers R Us company, you've got to care enough to do everything you can to bring to, to shed light, the light of Jesus, into people's lives to fill their darkness. Number two on the application, I'm willing to work with a team. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. You're willing to work with a team. The Bible says this paralyzed man was carried by four of them, four people. That is not an individual, is it? That is a team, four people there. They teamed up for their friend. They did it as a team that none of them could do individually. None of them could have carried that man up onto the roof by themselves. None of them could have dug a hole in the roof by themselves. But they, what they did with four of them is they got them up on the roof. Four of them opened up the roof. Four of them lowered the individual down to Jesus. Can you imagine just one of the friends trying to carry the paralyzed man by himself? Two or three might have been able to do it, but because the man was lying on a cot, And the cot had four corners. A team of four people made sense there. John Maxwell, who is a Christian guru on leadership in the church, says it's teamwork that makes the dream work. Someone said team, T-E-A-M, stands for together, everyone accomplishes more. 
now that football has started, or you may be watching baseball still currently, you're going to hear whoever wins the Super Bowl or whoever wins the World Series or whoever wins the Little League World Series, they're going to hear something like this. We won because of teamwork. When I was playing football for Artesia, I can remember every year that, that our coach, Mike Phipps, would always say, this is, there's not an I in team. We are a team. And every time you see your picture or see your name in the newspaper, don't get a big head because if it wasn't for the team, your name wouldn't be in the newspaper this, this next week or there. And every time that uh, we had, and, and they wrote a lot about the football team in the newspaper there, and we had names all the time there. And I was always remembering it's not about my name. It's always about the team. Someone has given a great definition of teamwork. We may not have it all together, but together we have it all. Amen? That's a great definition of teamwork. And that's the value of being part of the church and being part of a Sunday school class. And let me just say, children's workers today, this is a great plug right here. You, you may be in Awanas. You may be in Sunday school. You may be in another organization with doing children's work. But we're a team. We're all together. I don't care what area you're in. It's teamwork. And when you go to this meeting today, you remember it's not about you. It's not just about your area. It is about the whole team. And when you think about that, you'll begin to say, what can we do together as a team? What can we do together to reach these young people, our children in our community? The Christian life was never meant to be a solo sport. We need each other. When I, you, you walk to the fairgrounds this next week and you look at all of those kids and you see what they've put into the fair, when you look at those animals, there's going to be a kid's name up there. But I promise you, it was more than one kid working that animal. Parents in the background. Parents paying the bills. I, I've, I've got a kid in, in our fire department that has been, he, he tells me, John, he says, if it's all right, I need to leave now from a fire run because I've got to go do chores. And, and I said, well, it's good that you're doing chores and not your parent and uh, your parents there. But I will tell you that it's always when you see, and when you walk through those fairgrounds this week and you see those kids there, I'm wondering how many of you think, how can we reach these kids? How can we make a difference in these kids' lives that are not going to church anywhere, not being touched by Jesus any way, anyhow? Now, you may not ever be able to help that person all alone, but if you enlist some people to help you, a team can accomplish accomplish much more than any individual. So if you want to work for Roofers RS Company, you must be willing to work with a team. Number three, You might want to check this box. I see obstacles as opportunities. You see obstacles as opportunities. The Bible says that this team of friends faced several obstacles. They they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd in verse 2. The ruins of Capernaum to this day show that that the lanes between the houses, if you think that there's not much room between your house and the house next door to you, you ought to go to Capernaum. Because in Capernaum, they were almost side by side. And in fact, the ruins even show that the lanes, the roads between uh, the houses there, there, the streets are so narrow that not even two people, they had to turn to get by each other. That's how narrow the streets are there in Capernaum. And so get this picture in your mind. The house is full where Jesus is. 
there's, it says that the house is completely full. It says that that the lanes that even outside the house, around the windows, ever that that the lanes were filled with people wanting to catch the words of Jesus, and that was the, just the first obstacle that they faced. And then there was the obstacle of the house itself. If you look at how the houses were built back then, they were built by black basalt. Black basalt is and then covered with plaster. Now basalt, I had to do some checking on what that really is. Ninety percent of the lava in our world today that flows from volcanoes is basalt. So it's a black rock. It's a coarse rock, stone. And so they put those together and then they put plaster over that there. So the homes there were made out of thick walls and and rock and plaster. And the homes only had one door there. They probably were not handicapped accessible as well at that point in time, but they had a few windows in the house, not like the windows we have in our house that you can open up and, and see out. These windows were right up next to the, where the roof connects to the walls, and there was only a few of those, and so even the people outside, they had to listen carefully because they couldn't see Jesus, and whatever noise was coming out of the coughing and the shuffling and everything else that happens in a crowd, they had to filter through that just to hear Jesus talk there. The windows were too small to bring in the stretcher, and the roof of the house was... So that was another obstacle. The windows were too small, so they couldn't get the guy in. Another obstacle was the roof itself. On top of those stone walls, there were wooden timbers that used as ceiling joists, and they would put palm leaves and mud and clay. They were mixed together with this thick mortar, and they were placed in layers between each of those timbers. When each layer dried, another layer was placed on them and another layer. And then when it was finally done, then they placed palm leaves were placed on top with more mortar there. And so there was this thick, hard rock was, was really the roof. But these four friends didn't let obstacles stop them. They used these obstacles, obstacles as opportunities, and they kept moving their friend towards Jesus. So how do you react when an obstacle takes place there in front of you, when you're confronted with an obstacle? Many people see obstacles as God's way of saying, you just need to stop and refocus there. But obstacles are often simply opportunities for those that know the Lord for faith. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and they came to the Red Sea and the Red Sea they faced a pretty big obstacle, wouldn't you think? Now, I can just hear some of those Israelites saying, well, the Red Sea's here. I guess God wants us to go back into captivity, so we just need to take our little bags and turn around and head back home. Can you hear some of them saying that? I could hear some of them saying that, but what happened there? Well, I think that that thinking was wrong because God put it there. I think that obstacle was there for God, for those folks for them to see the glory of God at work. And what was the glory of God at work there? Moses took the rod of God and he touched the water and the obstacle turned into a walkway of freedom there. We have as our logo here that we First Baptist Church is building bridges of love. You could see just a bridge being built over the, 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 the sea there, the Red Sea. 
instead of just a walkway. And here in our church, we see a walkway. We see a bridge built, a bridge of love. Have there been times when you've given up when there was an obstacle in your way? Some things we think are the worst thing that could happen turned into the very best thing that could happen to us. If you want to work for Roofers R.S. Company Church, you must begin to see obstacles as opportunities. And then number four, you look for creative ways to solve problems. You look for creative ways. There there were obstacles, but these men of faith found a way to overcome the obstacle. The Bible says in verse 4 that they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Now, use your heavenly imagination and listen to a conversation between these four friends. All right? Here's the conversation. Wow, that's a lot of people. We can't even get into the front door with him. Another one says, yeah, right. Look, let's see. See those stairs over there to to the roof of the house? Nobody's up there. Let's go up there and see if there's a way in. So they carefully carry the cot with their friend up the steps, and they get to the roof. And what do they see? They see these thick timbers with dried mud and leaves between each timber. And can you hear them say, man, that is too thick to even dig through with our hands. And so they lay their four friend down, their friend down, and the four guys, they just take off, and they tell the guy, don't go anywhere, all right? And then they take off, go back down the stairs, and they come back, and guess what? One returns with a hoe that he found in a garden there, and he, he begins to start digging a hole there, and another friend brings an axe that he found at a house two doors down, and he begins to cut through, and then the third one found a shovel at another house, and he starts digging, and the fourth one returns with the most important thing four strands of rope so that they might lower their friend down to Jesus. And they start chopping and they start digging through the roof. They aren't concerned about the expense or the damage. And let me just say with that, desperate faith leads people to do desperate things. Their only thought is to get their friend to Jesus Christ. Church, we're always going to face problems. You know why? Because we're we're always dealing with people. We're always dealing with problems. There's not a day goes by that it, through the office that there's not a problem brought to the office with, with, that needs to be fixed. There's always problems day in and day out there. But people, they're facing problems and they bring them into us there. And they're looking for creative ways to solve problems. Your church staff is always looking for creative ways to solve problems there. I read about a story about a businessman from New York City who was going to take a month-long trip to London. Now, this wasn't too far, not long ago, but there. And so he went to his local Manhattan bank, and he asked to borrow $1,000 for the trip. He even drove his Cadillac into the bank parking lot. And, and it was a new Cadillac. And he said, I want to use this as collateral there. And and he was a good customer to the bank, and so they gave him his money. And when he returned a month later, he paid $6 in interest for the loan for that month there. And the banker said to this guy, I'm I'm curious. You've got plenty of money in your account. I I really wonder why you wanted to borrow $1,000 for this trip. And the businessman said, where else could I park my new Cadillac in a safe place in Manhattan for $6 for a month? 
pretty creative way to handle a problem there. I think he was thinking creatively there. So think about your friend or your friends who need Jesus right now. You need to ask God, God, what are some creative ways that I can team up with others at the church to expose that person to the light and life of Jesus Christ? Have two or three of your friends invite. I'll give you some examples how you can do it. You might invite, they're, they're currently out. There's been in the past and there's some good ones coming out just in the next uh, few weeks. Christian movies that you can invite your friend that doesn't know Christ. Two or three of you can go together and say, hey, let's buy the, our friend a ticket and let's go to the movie together and let's watch this Christian movie together. That's a creative way to, 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 to get someone to listen to the gospel in a different, in a creative way there. Also, you can use acts of kindness. People are always wondering, why, why would you stop and help me? Why would you do this? Why would you go out of your way? Just this past week, I, I was contacted by our code enforcement people and uh, here in our community. And if you've ever gotten a letter, you don't think very kindly of the code enforcement people, I'm sure, there. But there was a lady that got a letter from her code enforcement people, and she was not happy with it, so she called them, and she began to give them a story about her age and her ability to be able to cut the weeds in her, in her lot or in the, in the alley there. She thought the city ought to cut the weeds in the alley. And because she was over 65, she felt like that was a reasonable deal. And so the code enforcement people called here and said, John, is there anybody in your church who might be willing to cut a few weeds for a lady in need. And I said, let me go by and let me look at the, at, at the problem, first of all. I don't want, you know, if there's weeds that are 12 foot tall, a regular lawnmower is not going to cut those at all there. But guess what? I went the very next day. I drove down the alley. I would first drove down the street. And then I drove down the alley because I wanted to see which house it was. Got the address, drove down the alley, and guess what? The weeds had already been cut. So I called the code enforcement person and I said, hey, Monica, I said, guess what? Unless you give me the wrong address, the weeds have already been cut there. Well, I'll just tell you, we got out of that job, but you know what I was going to do this morning? I was going to go to Sunday school classes and I was going to give you an opportunity for an act of kindness to go mow some lady's lawn that needed it in their alley. Now, some of you are saying, well, preacher, I've got weeds too. Why aren't you, why aren't you cut? Well, we don't know about them. And so if you, don't, if you can't handle it, you let me know and we'll do our best to see if we can find somebody to cut your weeds as an act of kindness. And then number five, if you want to be a part of the Roofers R Us company, you need to come up with creative ways to solve problems. Number five, you don't quit when you're criticized. What would you do if someone started digging a hole in your roof at your house. You'd probably call the police, right? You'd call 911. What would you do if you saw someone digging a hole, creating a hole in, in your neighbor's roof? Would you care enough to call 911? Now, I've had some neighbors that I really, I would have really waited a while and made sure it was a big hole before I called. Now, I know that's what you were thinking, so I just said it for you there. You'd probably call the police even if you saw it was at your neighbor's house. 
with that. I think it's reasonable to think that the homeowner or the neighbor of this house probably yelled up to the men to stop destroying the the roof. But guess what? We don't know if that really happened, but I prob- they didn't stop, obviously. They kept on digging. Jesus didn't even tell them to stop. Jesus, he knew it all. He's God, and yet he didn't stop them. Why didn't Jesus stop them? Because Jesus knows people matter more than buildings. Ooh. People matter more than buildings. Jesus knew that there were two miracles that were going to happen as a result of the roof in the, uh, the hole in the roof in this house. Number one, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. That's a miracle in itself, amen? Your sins are forgiven. That's the greatest miracle in the world. That's what Jesus wants to say to each of you in this room today, each of you listening on the radio, that your sins are forgiven. But even Jesus was criticized. The religious leaders were thinking, Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. That's what they said in verse 7 there. And they were right. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, just like he knows what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, is this preacher ever going to shut up? This meeting's got to get going here. And let me just tell you. So he said, so what's a bigger miracle to to the religious crowd? Forgiveness or healing? You all expect me to heal him, but so you'll know that I'm the Son of Man, has the power. I'm going to do it because I want you to know that the Son of Man is the one that forgives sin. So go ahead, friend. Grab your bed, pick it up, and walk in verses 9 through 11. And that's what the man did. And I can imagine Jesus looking up those four workers at the Roofers R Us company, and he smiled at them, and they were giving each other high fives and hugs as they were up on the roof seeing their friend walk away. I ask you today, do you have a friend or a family member who needs Jesus? Don't give up on them, even if you're criticized. Don't stop opening up that hole in the roof. Just keep letting them see the light of Jesus. And when Jesus sees your faith, I think he's going to smile at you as well. One of the characters in this story, as we conclude, out of all of them, which one do you see that looks most like you this morning? Out of all the characters we talked about, which one looks like you? You may relate to the paralyzed man. You you may not be physically paralyzed, but you're bound by sin, and you need to have Jesus forgive you this morning. Jesus is in the house today. He's here If you'll come to him and you'll honestly say that you're in need and ask him for his help, he will gladly say the same thing that he said to the paralyzed man. Friend, your sins are forgiven. For others of you who are Christians already, you may see yourself like one of those four guys who brought their friend to Jesus. You want to work for the Roofers R Us company. You want to open up ways for your friends to meet Jesus. But there's also other people in the story. They were the ones who were crowding the house. Even the religious leaders. In other words, there were two kinds of people there. Some were were on the way to Jesus and some were in the way to Jesus. Did you get that? Two people. 
Some were on their way to Jesus, and some were in the way of Jesus. Let's be honest, church, today. You're either actively bringing people to Jesus, or you're just basically coming to church. You're sitting, you're listening, and you're going home. As a kid growing up, I remember my pastor talking about the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor in the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London in the 19th century. And you've heard me quote and say quotes. There's going to be a sign this next week on our sign out here from Spurgeon as well. But most experts agree that there was a particular sermon that Spurgeon preached that caused the congregation to explode with growth. Many have called it the turning point in the life of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Do you know what the sermon was about? The sermon was taken from the passage that we've been studying here in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The title of his message, though, was Sitting By, Sitting By. He preached about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were content to sit by as Jesus was performing this miracle. He applied it to the Christians who were satisfied and always just sitting by. He described an entire category of the church attendees who were basically good for nothing and all they did was take up space. Now that's Charles Spurgeon talking in the 1800s. Spurgeon boldly told those Christians who were content to just sit by. This is what he said. Never to return to the church because they were only in the Lord's way. What would happen if I told you to never come back because all you were were in the Lord's way. What would you think? Well, there'd be a deacon's meeting this afternoon. Preacher, you can't do that. There would be some of you following me to my office and saying, how dare you? You can't say that at all. But let me tell you what happened with Spurgeon, and that is this. He had such a great impact on people that throughout the next week, hundreds of members in his church expressed to him that they were no longer going to just sit by And they promised that they would become like one of the four friends who brought someone to Jesus. When Spurgeon arrived the next Sunday, he was prepared, he was not prepared for what he found in his church. It was as if every member of his church brought someone who needed Jesus to church that day. In fact, hundreds were led to Christ that day. And it began a spiritual awakening in the Metropolitan Church in London that lasted many years. So let me, as I close, let me just ask you, what do you think would happen in our church if just 50 of you have made up your mind this morning that you're no longer going to sit by anymore? What would happen next Sunday if you, if 50 of you brought your friends and your relatives and your work associates who need Jesus to church with you? Can you imagine what that would do to our church? The boss of the Roofers R Us is offering you a job today. When you come to work for Roofers R Us, as the old quote says, the pay isn't very much, but the retirement benefits are out of this world. Can you imagine what would happen if you'd just be one of 50 who say, I'm not going to sit by anymore, preacher. I'm going to do my best to get someone who needs Jesus to come to church with me. I'm just going to tell you, it would turn this church upside down.
It would never be the 